Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Happy New Year! It's still the new year. (laughs) It's the second full week. I mean, it feels fresh and new, maybe, for some of you. Maybe it feels like the holidays are still winding down. Everyone's probably gearing up to go back from winter break, if not... Already, Already in, I mean, yeah, some yeah. have like extended. I just heard about some schools starting to do less time during winter break and then a week in February. Like, remember we talked one time about how some private schools have ski week? No, I I'm starting know. to see this more and more even with the I don't understand schools. how you could do less than, because like Christmas and New Year's are like a week apart. Because so some had that school week? districts had three weeks for winter break. Oh, I so didn't know that. So now they're only having two oh, and I they're doing one. I know. Well, good for them. Two, yeah. Yeah, the ski week. That, yeah, but it's like not called ski week anymore. It's like February break. Yeah, which people are poor but and like, they can't go and ski. But you have like spring break like a month later, so I just don't understand. So like your spring break's going to be later? Maybe. If you guys have a schedule like this, please let us know. We're very confused. Yeah. We'd like to know. I know we deal with so many school districts that there's really no such thing as a spring, winter, or Well, February has like so overlapped. five holidays in it, like President's Day, Washington's birthday. Like some of them get like those federal holidays off too. So then you get another week in there. That's or maybe it's, like, and it's one already of, short. Maybe it's one. <laughs> February's already No, this 20. is a leap year. Right? Well, whatever. Is it a leap year this year? I'm sure it, I think is, it is, but like whatever. It's They're probably still... like making it one of the weeks where they already had a day off. Well, because now I feel like so many schools, because they're starting later, that um, semester end. Like, I remember being in school and, like, semester ended, like, right before winter break. And now it's more and more where you still have, like, three weeks left in the semester when you come back from winter break. Yeah, like January. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, so you go to winter break and then you come back, you have finals, and then you have, like, a little break after finals? Like, I don't know. I guess. I mean, I don't even know. It's a crazy... Yeah. It is crazy. Maybe and then one day you, we're just going to have year-round schools for And everyone. then you go to school, and then you go to college, and then you join the workforce. And that is who we're going to be talking. That's what we will be talking about with our guest, Mackenzie Martin. A little different, mm-hmm. but totally on brand. She has launched Undoing, which is kind of like a consulting firm, mm-hmm. HR consulting firm. So Mackenzie has an interesting background. So she does human resources at a company. And when she first started, somebody she shared had said like, oh, well, like employees number one, which we hear, you know, for us, like clients number mm-hmm. one, you know, and things like that. But when people typically think of HR, they think, oh, well, that's the person for the employee, right? right? And so that like really got her on this train of thought of, you know, it's not really, we need to be creating a space for people to talk about diversity, to talk about inclusion. Right. And she goes into a couple yeah. of and stories not, yeah, about Not that. just getting more diversity in hiring process, because I think that's often something that's on people's mind nowadays, is like we need to get more diversity in the workplace. But what they're really thinking about is the hiring process. But in reality, you know, she's digging deeper into how do we provide a space for that 
communication between employer and employee and helping people with disabilities or people of different diverse backgrounds have access to the job in the same way that everybody does. And so, you know, definitely on the track of building a more inclusive society that, you know, is our goal. She's so definitely our people and taking it in a context that is outside of our realm, really, right? So we're with kiddos 3 to 22, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're doing everything that we can in our capacity, but it is good to have allies in the workforce that are thinking about this. Yeah, because these kiddos are going to go out there, and if Mm -hmm. we're preparing them for an inclusive society, we need society to be inclusive when they get there. Right. And not just, you know, creating that environment in a workplace, you know, training the leaders, training upper management, creating that space, and being able to kind of explore and how she had also said starting the conversation that is not easy and we talk about that Mackenzie thank you so much for joining us today Amanda, Vicki, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you all about everything. Yeah, so why don't you give our listeners a bit of background about yourself? Yes, so um, kind of to start out, I'm launching a company called Undoing, and I'll get into that in a second, but kind of my back is in HR. And so I have been in human resources for about six years. And what kind of started out as an HR role has kind of evolved into people management. And kind of what started me off on this is when I first entered HR, somebody said, well, you know, good luck, you know, representing the employer always. Oh. And I was like, you know, is that really what HR is? They're like, absolutely. Like your first and foremost job is to protect the employer. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I don't agree with that, you know? So Mm -hmm. it has been kind of an evolution of me exploring the other options of representing the employee and what that looks like and kind of how that's going to transform and manifest over the next, you know, few decades in the workplace and kind of my work in that currently in my current role as just with my current employer and also with Undoing as well. And so Undoing is a consulting company. And what I'm going to be doing is going in and auditing different startups and see there's a huge for it as people want diversity inclusion programs. They also want just HR help in general because they're seeing, you know, the need for it and people are really shopping around for good DNI programs in their next employers. But people don't really know where to start. And so what I'm doing is going in and helping them kind of create those programs and help auditing their systems and their workflows and understanding how we can, you know, incorporate and create a better inclusive work culture. That's amazing. And it just sounds like you were able to kind of find your way along the way, right, in terms of seeing how inclusion and diversity really affect not just a workplace, but the world on a grander scale. Absolutely. And, you know, for what kind of made me first start realizing it is that, you know, in my personal life and with, you know, different things that I'm an activist for, I was like, you know, think of what we can do in an hour of, you know, just somebody speaking to their truth or speaking to whatever they believe in it for, you know, their activism, right? We have eight hours or, you know, for like Amazon employees, they have 14 hours a day, you know, where they're at their companies and we have this amazing opportunity to help influence and help, you know, really create this culture where people feel seen and heard and where their voices are expressed. And, you know, so how do we create that and how does that then later on affect just overall life in general? And so I feel like, HR has an amazing opportunity, and I really hope that they continue in this industry to continue to evolve to be more people-oriented. 
Absolutely. And we see, you know, when we're talking about the kiddos that we serve and the community that we serve and looking at, you know, our overarching goal is, you know, building a better society that's more inclusive as a whole. And, you know, where we find we can fight the good fight for kids when they're in school. And, you know, a lot of times what we say about why kids should be fully included in school is because the real world, the job market is, needs to be fully included, right? There's not separate, you know, jobs. And so, you know, I like this Starting this conversation because, you know, I think one thing that we're seeing more recently is the push to get rid of the wage waiver, the part of the Fair Labor Standards Act. And for our listeners, for individuals with disabilities, there are employers that can participate in, it's called Section 14C, basically sub-minimum wage certificate program, which allows employers to have a reduced minimum wage for people with disabilities, which we've talked about briefly on the podcast before, but, you know, the implications of what... What does that say to society about people living with disabilities and to employers, too, about what they need to be doing to kind of become more inclusive? Absolutely. And I truly I'm so fulfilled of the doing and your team because just as you have kind of mentioned within your website and within your podcast, you're, you know, you all want children to succeed in school and all adults to succeed in workplace. And like, obviously, there's a pipeline of individuals. And children, you know, as they're getting an education and as somebody who is just now finding, you know, financial access and all of those things, like that leads, it leads directly into the workplace and the workforce, right? So how can we better support children and individuals in their early on education and therefore support those adults into the workplace? And I think, you know, it goes hand in hand, you know, from a legal standpoint, I'm really excited to learn, you know, more of what we can do even from a legal perspective. That's one thing that I really have been working on with my legal team, you know, equity in the workplace and such, which I'm really, really excited about and thankful for. But I think that, you know, as far as like what we do to support adults, workplace, it really does start out with how do we better incorporate inclusion earlier on in their life, you know? So what you guys are doing is amazing as well. Yeah. Well, and we, you know, we've heard there's like anything, right? There is two sides to everything. And so we have a lot of people who, you know, haven't been as happy with wanting to get rid of, you know, the sub minimum wage because, you know, the perspective is with this program, more employers are able to employ people living with disabilities. And the fear is that those jobs are going to go away. So, you know, is this something that you're aiming to kind of help employers find a way to equally include people with disabilities without having to pay them less? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one thing that we've been really working on, we started this diversity inclusion a program at my current employer and what that eventually ended up being is we really re- we realized that we were kind of leaving out individuals that were living with disability out of that diversity inclusion like one thing that I noticed even just very recently is that we don't have accessible doors so wow. who is that excluding right, right and so right. yeah I mean it goes down to when you are like me who I am a an able-bodied this straight white woman who you know has privilege of a lot of things that others may not. What does that mean for me? And how do I go, go about my life and engage with the world? And I sat down with the legal team and I said, we need to figure out like legally speaking and on a pay level, like down to the very, like the pay structures with the company, we really need to form and make sure that we are giving, you know, full accessibility to our jobs as we are to other individuals in the community. 
You know, we just recently had a guest on who was talking about ableism, Dr. Michelle Mario Redman, and she had this fascinating perspective that we hadn't really thought of in that at a certain point, everybody falls into the category of disability at some point in their life. So the first, you know, most of us when, you know, if we're lucky when we're older, you know, we may not be able to get around as quickly as we used to. You know, some of us will be reduced to wheelchairs or, you know, God forbid something happens, right? Sometimes people have surgeries and they're temporarily disabled. And I don't think anybody ever really thinks about that. And I remember one of the first times I kind of realized accessibility just in general hit me when I had studied abroad in Spain and like, there was just like, if you were with crutches or a cane or even in a wheelchair, like it was not accessible whatsoever. Right. There's like so there's steps everywhere. There's stairs and there's like the curb, like just little things that we take for granted here. And, and that's just looking at it um, from that point of accessibility. But what it sounds like you're doing is really trying to focus in within that workplace environment. And that is in of itself a little community, right? And how are we showing diversity, not just through race, but through all of the abilities that people have? Because people discriminate on so many different levels. So I kind of wanted to get toward the company that you said that you were launching. I know you kind of went into, it's going to be consulting and things like that, but what really pushed you to create that? I, I know you're kind of similar to us where we, we want to start this conversation, but you know, going on your own, that that's a whole nother story. How did you get there? You know, it's, I keep saying this to people because they're like, oh, you're really actually doing this. And I'm like, I guess so. We're, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're doing it. But um, yeah. it's kind of one of those things I always say, like when the universe calls and you have to answer at some point because totally. it's just going to keep calling. Totally. Right? And, and, you know, I feel very, very blessed to have found what I'm really, really passionate about. And it kind of just happened organically with my first job. I, I had taken some time off of school and I had a friend that was in recruiting and, you know, she was like, hey, you should do this HR gig. And I was like, oh, I'm not really sure about like people. So let's try it. And then seeing how much we really should be reforming the workplace and what HR really means and people management and how we can better support individuals within their workplace life was kind of what showed me that it's a lot more than what you said. It's not just about your diversity numbers or your quotas or the benchmark that you're trying to get to of like the different, you know, the people of the different backgrounds and their races and all of the things. It's once we actually employ these individuals, how are we including them? Mm -hmm. And how are we reaching the people that don't have access like some individuals do, right? And so, you know, one of the things too that has been monumental for me just in my growth in 2019 is about two years ago, I started therapy for anxiety and that has been hugely beneficial. And I brought so many of these lessons into work and I'm like, you know, I've started talking like more openly about it with my friends and my family. And it was all of a sudden like this conversation just opened, right? People were like, oh, you have that too? Oh my gosh, you know, I've been dealing with that as well. Or, oh, you went to therapist? Oh, I always thought it had to be something wrong, right? And I was like, oh no, absolutely not. And so it was all of a sudden, like as soon as I really allowed myself to be myself and to see myself for, you know, who I am and in which my life experience, started to be able to be vulnerable around people and speak to it, it was all of a sudden like, we're not all that different, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, seeing how that can translate into a workplace and how you can build these conversations of vulnerability and really allow yourself to like having these really scary conversations and kind of breaking down that stigma around some of these harder conversations to me is kind of what I'm doing is right. And right now it's going to be a consulting company where, you know, I go in and audit and that's super, it's something I'm really, really passionate about as well. But something that I want to get to, you know, later on is really just having resources readily available for people that are ready to start those conversations and they're not going to be comfortable and they're going to challenge you and i will say that a lot of these conversations that i've had around you know race and you know mental health and all of these stigmas in the workplace it's not comfortable you know Mm -hmm. and but it's very very important so how do we create space for ourselves to have these conversations with one another and be vulnerable and that's really what i want undoing to do and so i'm really really excited about it. i feel like this is you know you're starting to see traction with the dni programs around the country but i think that it needs to be more than that it can't just be a number it can't just be you know a buzzword it really there has to be meaning behind it and we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable allow our employees to be vulnerable so that they feel that you know they can show up as their best selves to work and that's who they are you know and i think so many people's like their life becomes their work, whether or not they love or hate their job, right? It, they're for eight hours or longer, or even part time, and it becomes part of you. And we, you know, I'm sure people think, oh, well, we got to keep these conversations separate. And but like, where else are we going to be having them? Like I said, it is a community, you have your workforce as an employer working for you. And you know, it's like the saying happy wife, happy life. It, it, same thing with employees, yeah. right? You want your employees to stick around you want them to feel comfortable and but at the same time you also want to challenge them and I think that this is such a great avenue to do that in a meaningful impactful way so you talked about not only not just getting employers to understand the concept of like including people when they're hiring but also like once the employees are there, right? Helping them access, you know, their job. Can you give us some examples of, you know, what you'd be looking at, like when you go in to help consult with the firm, what you'd be looking at in terms of like that access? Yeah, absolutely. So some of the things that I have like pre-hire that I have done just even at my current company right now is that like we've streamlined a lot of the workflows as far as like recruiting goes. So making sure that you have, you know, unconscious bias training for interviewers and making sure that they're completely qualified to be like having a certain set of behavioral questions that they're interviewing these people so that it's a really even interviewing process. Just having those behavioral interview questions, job descriptions that are run through gender decoders so that you know, it's not just the binary and it's more inclusive. But once you actually hire those individuals, it's really creating that rapport with them and understanding what it is that they need to be an effective leader, if that's what they want to do. If they want to be an effective, you know, just I, where they're just, you know, an independent contributor, what is it that they want? What brings them meaning and fulfillment? And like you said, some people, it's a job is a job, right? It's not, maybe sometimes it's not just their passion, but mm-hmm. how do you create a space that they feel seen and heard? And I believe that that really, really starts with the rapport with managers and their employees. And so that's what I would go in is making sure that, you know, we're doing coaching with different management and executives and making sure that, you know, they're holding each other accountable as well as just the employees holding their managers accountable and creating that transparency and conversation and asking for what they need. Because I think 
there's a lot of fear between, you know, management and employees. I think that's what I've seen a lot in my experiences. And I think, you know, nonviolent communications, teaching that, making sure that, you know, employees feel as though they can go to their managers and say, hey, this is what I need, or this is where I'm at, or I'm not feeling, you know, happy doing this and that. And just getting, making sure that people feel as though, you know, they have professional development within the employer. And that's so important. It's something that I was just talking to somebody today about. In law school, they don't really teach you how to run a business. You kind of, you're expected to hang your shingle out, right? And so a lot of attorneys are solo practitioners, so they don't have to worry about anybody. Or then they start hiring people and they just don't really know how to be bosses, right? They know how to be attorneys and they're excellent at that. But, you know, so little of them hire office managers or even HR, right? And And so it's so important for us in this customer-driven industry as well to take a look at because attorneys have a high burnout rate. And I feel like if this conversation started, like if you went to a law school and kind of presented, I think it would give a lot of people something to think about when they become. I mean, I know that's what I'm thinking right now, like just like how do we work with you? (laughs) Because obviously this is what we do. We try to include, but like, you know, it's different. It's creating that safe space. And safe space is such an overused, you know, people, it has such a negative connotation now. But I mean it in every sense of the word. So that like you said, you should feel comfortable to be able to talk to your manager about your wants, your needs, your aspirations, even your goals, even if that's outside of the company. But I think with you, it really builds a bond that I don't know that they could find if they went somewhere else. And that's important. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think feeling comfortable having real conversations between employers and employees Because, you know, when we think about, I don't think even an employer can often know exactly what kind of accommodations or supports that they can put in place until someone starts working with them that may need them. You know, we talking about an individual who's living with autism, you know, just because they have autism doesn't mean that they're going to need the same type of supports until they start working, right? And so they need to be able to have that conversation. The employee be able to express, you know, these are the things that I'm having difficulties with or these are the things that would help me and have it be an open conversation where the employee not only feels comfortable having that conversation, but the employer is welcoming about Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. And I, it was interesting to kind of see how I had learned that that was so important was to create those relationships is when I first started HR, kind of my main role was to build onboarding workflows. And so all of a sudden it was like three months into it. And I was like, I know every single person in this company pretty well, you know, because we had spent even just as little as an hour or two Mm -hmm. in the morning on their first day, getting to know each other, going Mm -hmm. over benefits, you know, learning about their previous employers, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they want in their next position. And, you know, really understanding their needs and wants. And I think if managers had more of that coaching earlier on, or there was some type of certification that they had to have, or, you know, organizational psychologists that they worked with or partnered with to really understand how to manage, it would absolutely, you know, transform the workplace. And I think, you know, and I've talked to plenty of my managers before and they're like, oh no, I never got training. You know what I mean? Like I was just kind of, it was like, well, we're going to roll with the punches and let Mm -hmm. me know if you need anything, but you know, you're kind of, you do what you need to do and I'll do what I need to do. And it was kind of, it was very much like individualistic. And so I totally agree. I mean, I think in so many industries, there's no coaching for management and 
I'm starting to see more organizational psychologists, you know, in this industry and even some of these bigger companies like Google, like Facebook are hiring these psychologists to come in and say, let me help you. Let me help Mm -hmm. coach you on how to manage and, you know, people relationships. But I think, you know, people are starting to understand that it's really, really important to create those relationships and just to be as transparent as possible. And I know even with my current boss right now, we have an amazing relationship and it's because we're just honest with each other. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't know, he'll go and find out and same with me. And, you know, we're always just really honest with each other, but we built and he's built this environment of safety right. that no matter what I ask or no matter how I'm vulnerable, I'm still going to be safe speaking with him mm-hmm. about these things. And so I think that's hugely important in part of this DNI time that we have in the workplace is that we really need to make sure that we're fostering those relationships with our employees and making sure that they feel comfortable coming to us as leaders. What does DNI stand for? Diversity and inclusion. Oh, okay. Just to die. You'd yes. use it a couple Sorry. of different times. No, no, no. It's okay. And we deal a lot with acronyms. Yeah. And we always realize that <laughs> we do that too. And we're like, oh, our listeners might not. Yeah. So we mm-hmm. like to clarify. We realize mm-hmm. that about ourselves. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's kind of, I keep saying it too much. And I know people keep going, wait, what is that? Yeah, wait, um, it's like, I think I know what you're talking about, but wait. Uh, And so do you have just like a story about, you know, you kind of just talked about you and your manager, but is there kind of like a feel good story that you have about how you just kind of, I just, a light bulb went off in someone when you were talking to them about diversity or inclusion or just any type of experience that you've had with hiring any people with unique needs or anything like that? Yeah. So I actually have, it started out as a pretty difficult situation. When I say difficult, it was painful to see my mistake personally, but it ended up, we grew together through it, but I was working with a previous employee who was a colleague of mine and they had started and it was about their third, I want to say it was their third day of employment. And, you know, I had worked with them on benefits and getting healthcare set up. And one of the things they came to me about a couple of days later is they said, you know, I understand that some of these institutions and systems within the world, they don't represent by anything outside of the binary. Oh. And they said, you know, I identify as they, them, and I'm not able to select that in any of my enrollment documents. And that was really hard for me to acknowledge that as much as I feel like we're making traction and movement within these different systems and institutions, it realized how much we have to go. And so that kind of was my impetus. I was like, well, I really want to work with you on this. I want to make sure that we can do whatever we can to improve this process and improve, you know, the way in which you are able to represent yourself. And so we made sure, and this was a number of years ago, so I'm always incorporating this into any onboarding that I do now is making sure to ask somebody what their pronouns are, what their preferred pronouns are as they enter the company so that they don't have to come to me and say, hey, I've been, and you know, it was hard because the healthcare industry, unfortunately, they only acknowledge the binary, right? Right, right. But it was eye-opening for me and it was a learning experience. And, you know, this is all a learning experience. It's a journey and I'm constantly getting things wrong. But it was really an opportunity for me to sit down and say, what are the ways that we can improve this? An amazing thing that came out of this was, one, the pronoun stuff, which I really hope can, you know, improve individuals' experiences. And, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback on it that people were like, you know, I didn't have to say, hey, you know, I was asked, right? Right. And, but one really, really great thing that came out of it is that we ended up having 
health insurance that was able to cover this person's transition, which is, so it's like, even in some cases where, you know, we're not able to select, we're only able to select male or female in some of these enrollment documents, you know, there's also a little bit of freedom with some of the things that are actually covered with insurance, right? And so, you know, taking that and looking at that at a bigger scale, it's like, I've really, really tried to, when we're doing these open enrollments and, you know, these benefit renewals, is making sure that we can think of as many as we can for individuals with different disabilities or, you know, health coverage and really making sure that we can incorporate as much as we can into access to this healthcare because obviously it's incredibly expensive. And that's one thing that's really helped me to better understand even just like from a financial perspective Mm -hmm. and from a, you know, physical perspective of how we can potentially support people, whether it be, you know, mental health or physical well-being, whatever it may be. It's something that's hugely important and is oftentimes overlooked, unfortunately. It is. And I noticed that at the beginning, just even the terminology that you were using binary, and then at a certain point, you were like, she, her, that's how I identify just even noticing that. And that was just, you know, really brought to our attention by one of our first guests. And Mm -hmm. I just Jamie Swanson, I don't know where I pulled that out. Hi, Jamie, who (laughs) is a family therapist for the transgender youth. She that's how we met her. And that's Mm -hmm. how on the podcast, she talked about it. And just being able to put that in your vocabulary, I think, means the world to somebody. And even if it doesn't, it's bringing light to something that in 2019, almost 2020, you know, we're still battling on, you know, that discrimination and things like that. But um, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I'm really trying to work on is if, and this happens frequently, is that if I mess up, I don't want to make the attention beyond the mistake, but just saying, Hey, I apologize for that. I will make sure to work on it, you know, and, and yeah. then moving on, but just giving, you know, the opportunity to, to allow people to be exactly who they are in the workplace with wherever they're at and identify exactly how they are. It's hugely important. Well, we definitely think that the work that you're doing is so important. So important. I think it's important for them to know that there are people like you that are really trying to change that conversation, not just start it, but really bring that awareness to it. So right. we're so happy that you were able to come on and share your experience and the work that you're going to be doing. So Undoing will launch next year, correct? I think that's the plan. Okay. Yes. And thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, we're really excited. This is my first like public conversation about it you're putting it out in the universe, <laughs> the universe it has right? to happen I now <laughs> i know i know there's no going back so yeah i'm we're working on kind of the final we're tightening up some of the ends on the website right now but it's gonna probably launch on one one so nice and awesome. that was my goal so i'm pretty excited that i was actually able to somehow make that come to fruition because sometimes I put things off. So I'm glad. Well, (laughs) Well, this will be perfect timing because this will air right at the beginning. It's this is now uh, beginning of 2020. So we'll link your website and everything on the show notes so people can check it out and employers can look at how they can get you involved. So we really appreciate you coming and we hope everyone enjoyed. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I so appreciate it. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye.